When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Middle-income families need help. We're coming out of COVID-19. We want to keep our economy strong. When you have an infrastructure bill, there's spinoffs of that. There's spinoffs in cities and towns all across America. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We need to incentivize the manufacturing of chips in America. I do believe the vaccine is safe and effective. But I think what government's role is is to share the science, share the facts share the benefits. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And they're back. Lawmakers streaming back into the Capitol to deal with infrastructure and a budget resolution that the Democratic leadership has been pushing. And at this hour, it appears they still do not have the votes to pass it. We're going to bring you the latest from Capitol Hill straight ahead with critical votes set for the next 24 hours. We'll talk about it with Michael Hardaway, former communications director for the House Democratic Caucus, founder of the Hardaway Wire. And we will turn to Afghanistan this hour with news on both fronts today. New questions about the U.S. timeline to evacuate Americans and Afghans will be joined by Mark Jacobson, former NATO representative in Kabul, former senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense. And we'll run it all by the panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us today. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis. As we consider the rule, this is where Emily was going. The order of events. Infrastructure first or the budget resolution? We know where Nancy Pelosi is on this. We know where the White House is in sync here after Joe Biden endorsed the so-called rule. Secretary Jen Psaki took questions about the way this was going to work today. What I want to be clear with you all about is he supports Speaker Pelosi's uh, proposed path forward uh, to get this process done. I'd also note, and you follow this all closely, but for those of you watching at home, uh, this is a procedural vote, important one, uh, but there are a number of different uh, ways forward here. Um, and this is a debate currently, and a healthy one, an important one, within the Democratic caucus on what different parts of the president's core agenda should be passed in what order. And for those of you still playing along on your home game, you remember that Speaker Pelosi has not budged on this since she said this two months ago. On the infrastructure bill, unless we have the reconciliation bill, passed by the United States Senate. She used the word ain't, ain't going to do it. And we bring in Democratic strategist Michael Hardaway for more on this. Former communications director for the House Democratic Caucus and by way of Representative Hakeem Jeffries' office. He now provides intelligence to CEOs through his Hardaway wire. Michael, welcome. Is this Democratic leadership capable of straddling demands from progressives and moderates? Somebody needs to blink tonight. 
You know, Joe, um, I'm not sure LeBron James could pull out this victory, but I have no doubt <laughs> that Speaker Pelosi can and will for one reason. And that right. is whenever you see her dig her heels in on an issue, it's because she knows he has the vote. And she knows that she has the votes on the $3.5 trillion bill with Democrats throughout the caucus, and they want that voted on first before they move forward with the bipartisan Senate bill. Mm-hmm. You also have this dynamic where rank-and-file House Democrats are disgruntled about the process by which the Senate bill was done. That's right. And I think to that end, it's not just Pelosi that's digging her heels in. It's also members throughout the House Democratic Caucus. And I think for that reason, the moderate House Democrats will eventually fold uh, and they'll go along with Speaker Pelosi's demand. Listen There's to Michael Hardaway. He's going right for it. I appreciate that, Michael. That's your belief, and it's based <laughs> on history, right? We we think back to what happened with the ACA, the debate around Obamacare. The deal was left for dead. Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi made her bones yet again in that moment. Do you think then this is some sort of sleight of hand by this group of nine moderates? They all know they're going to fold, but they get to tell voters that they fought for what their district needed in the end. That's exactly right. And But the reality is, you know, if those moderates were playing three-dimensional chess, they would say to themselves, let's support the $3.5 trillion bill, knowing that when it gets to the Senate, it's in trouble. Let's support it in the House, and then we get the Senate bill that we want passed into law. That seems to not be their case. They seem to be focused on being able to tell their voters that they opposed this initially, uh, but they'll eventually fold. And, you know, the reality is that I've seen this multiple times with Speaker Pelosi. When she says we'll get something done, it's because she knows what the whip whip count is on every single occasion. And there's no doubt in her mind that she's got the vote to get that done. Remembering there are, of course, stages here. There are a lot of votes that lead up to a bill becoming law. Sometimes people might feel one way in the outset, the procedural vote, then they vote a different way on the underlying bill. Michael Hardaway, do these moderates vote for the resolution with the idea that they could later withhold their votes on reconciliation? Is that where you're going? I think that's generally the, that's generally the strategy, but I see them voting for both. Wow. I, think, I think what you'll see is a process where they'll feel better about the $3.5 trillion bill because ultimately I think that number becomes much smaller by the time it gets to the Senate. I think much of it is also paid for. And so I think those House moderates will not only vote for the rule, but they'll vote for the uh, eventual final vote on the reconciliation bill. We're talking with Democratic strategist Michael Hardaway, former communications director for the House Democratic Caucus. He's been there, and I'm sure you're still in touch with a lot of these folks. Does this make the case then, Michael, for having veterans in leadership? You remember, of course, there was a, a, a real challenge to Nancy Pelosi for getting that gavel back, but if she gets deals like this done, does that make the case for her continuing to hold it? I've been in way too many of these meetings that House Democrats will be holding this evening at 530, and I can tell you that the Speaker will preside over this in a way that moves the ball forward. And to answer your question, you absolutely need experience, but I think the smart way to do this is you have a good mix of the energy from the younger, more aggressive members, and then you have the seasoned uh, legislators that know how to get things done, and you put them together. Mm-hmm. So take us uh, for a moment inside that meeting then, Michael. How is this mm-hmm. going to take place? You said the Speaker will preside. 
You're going to have those members. Is she, does she put them in the back row? Is there is a little punishment, or do you put them in the front <laughs> row and deal with them uh, firsthand in front of everybody? Right. This will be done in front of the whole family. This will be done in front of the entire family. Technically, uh, House Democratic Caucus Chairman Hakeem Jeffries hosts the event, and Speaker Pelosi is sort of the orchestrator of the event. But Hakeem Jeffries technically hosts it, and you'll have a situation where the speaker will open up and she'll lay out her case in terms of why she thinks we need to move forward in the way that we need to. And then she'll open up the floor and allow any members to speak out that wish to. And I would say to you that I anticipate, you know, there are nine or so moderate House Democrats that are in opposition. I think you'll have no more than two that speak up. You'll probably see Josh Geidenheimer, uh, the leader of that group, he'll likely speak up and then maybe one other person. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they'll fold, whether it's this evening or whether it's later. I think they'll eventually come on board. Fascinating. Uh, Pelosi sent a, a letter to her caucus over the weekend. And it says, any delay to passing the budget, this is a dear colleague, you know you're in trouble when you get a dear colleague letter, any delay to passing <laughs> the budget resolution threatens the timetable for delivering the historic progress and the transformative vision that Democrats share. So we're supposed to imagine Nancy Pelosi saying this while she's making eye contact with those who are opposing this plan, right? Is that how you take care of this in the room right there and then? Nancy Pelosi is about five foot three. And she's one of the most intimidating people I've ever seen. And I would say to you that that's exactly right. She will, the people who oppose this effort, she will require them to speak up and explain in front of the entire caucus why that is. And the conversation will be had. And that's a tough effort when there are eight or nine of you and you're going against, you know, 211 or 212 people. And I think that will be a difficult case for Gaidenheimer and the rest of the moderates to make. Now I'm nervous, I'm not even in this meeting. What <laughs> happens to Gottheimer after this is done? If he backs out gracefully, and we only have, well, we have less than a minute here, Michael. Does, does his career stay intact? Is he in the Speaker's good graces? He'll be perfectly fine. He's well-respected and liked throughout the caucus. And at the end of the day, he represents this group on all of these issues. And he's always a fair arbiter and negotiator in these situations. And so I think from the perspective of the Speaker, from the perspective of Hakeem Jeffries and others, yep. uh, they have a good relationship with Geidenheimer, and I think he'll be perfectly fine. This is why he's paid to provide political intelligence to CEOs, Democratic strategist Michael Hardaway. We thank you for the insights today on Sound On. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Speaker Pelosi is busy whipping votes with an important meeting about to get underway with House Democrats who do not all agree on the way forward. So a good time to assemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis, both with us for the hour. It's go time here, Jeannie. Is this where Nancy Pelosi pulls a rabbit out of her hat and gets this I, caucus together? I think it is. I, I was just thinking where you're talking to Emily and Michael, it sounds like you know a Thanksgiving dinner where people are from all sides of the political <laughs> aisle right. and they're going to fight. I, I wish I was there. It's going to be fascinating. But, you know, I, I agree with Michael. Nobody is better at counting votes than Nancy Pelosi. To your point, she has the experience. She is really, really good at this. She has almost never lost a vote. That said, this is very tricky. I mean, you look at this Justice Democrats, this political action committee releasing an ad attacking the moderates over the weekend, and then you juxtapose that with Joe Manchin coming out and saying, 
move this infrastructure bill forward. So she is getting squeezed on all sides, not just in her own caucus, but from the Senate as well. If anybody can do it, she can. But it is going to be a tricky, you know, needle to thread, if you will. Yeah, I guess that is true. Uh, Rick, you've been in meetings like the one we're about to see here uh, on the Democratic side. Do you agree with Michael Hardaway that Nancy Pelosi can, in fact, get a deal done here? Yeah, she's going to pick the right enemies, right? And they're not going to be within her own caucus. Uh, They may be within her party, but they'll be Senate Democrats who will be the problem for her, not House uh, Democrats. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way this is setting up is that she's she's basically creating the Senate Democrats as the— the only ones who can stop reconciliation, but also the only ones who can allow the infrastructure vote to go forward because she wants the Senate to vote on reconciliation before she takes it up. So everyone's for the budget resolution. That's not going to cause any trouble. And everyone's for infrastructure. It's when does reconciliation get handled in the Senate is her stocking horse. And she'll try to leverage that with uh, the House Democrats who are moderates who want to go for infrastructure first. It's great politics. Congressman Gottheimer is a very smart uh, political operator and has a lot of backing with the business community and the Chamber of Commerce. And and so he's got some cards to play. He's got nine Democrats who want to see something positive said about infrastructure, if not a vote right away. Uh, I would also say uh, it's interesting to see what's going on with the Biden administration because they can't have a worse week last week and they need a win. And the only win on the table right now is infrastructure. They could actually have a signing ceremony pretty soon. But uh, Uh, Who knows if they're going to want to leverage that with Nancy Pelosi. I agree. Nancy Pelosi is holding all the cards right now, and it'll be interesting to see how she plays them. Well, Gottheimer and his eight colleagues uh, wrote an op-ed. It's in the Washington Post, and it starts by saying time kills deals, Jeannie. Is he right? He is. Uh, you know, that's the danger here. And and I agree with Rick. I think, you know, given what's happened over the last week or so for the Biden administration, they may be itching more than they were prior to getting something passed that they can celebrate. But of course, they want to get both of these things passed. So they're going to have to wait. And the question is, does pushing this off until September, October, kill one or both of these deals? And that's a big challenge. I would also say, you know, something I am really curious about is how 2022 is playing into this for Nancy Pelosi, because this election for Democrats will be won in these purple districts if they're to hold the House. And I think one of the things that Gottheimer has said, which I agree with, is they've got to be very careful about anything that looks like they are increasing the deficit to the point that they start to lose some of these independents who will decide who who carries the House. And that is a big danger for Nancy Pelosi as speaker. So, you know, how that figures in to what she's doing here, I think, is a fascinating aspect as well, if indeed she wants to be speaker again. So what happens uh, to Josh Gottheimer after all of this, Rick, assuming he folds? And, and is that your expectation? Does this help his career, at least in his own district? Is he in the doghouse with Nancy Pelosi? Well, as long as the end game is getting a infrastructure package signed by the president of the United States, he'll have a victory downstream. So he's kind of putting that in his pocket and saying, how do I get through this this next tumultuous period? Mm-hmm. And he'll be the uh, go-to guy in the uh, moderate caucus in, in the House. He'll sort of become the Joe Manchin of the House, right? I mean, he's only got three-vote margin in the, in the House of Representatives yeah. with Democratic control. So this as, sounds like it's good as, for as his Manchin career, though, has right? become. 
Yeah, it's very good for his career. And look at we're all talking about him, right? And this yeah. was who was talking about Joe Manchin two years ago? Nobody. That's right. <laughs> so I think he's following that path, and it's a good path to follow. We're talking with Rick and Jeannie, the panel on Bloomberg Sound On. What's going to happen in the next 24 hours here then, Jeannie? Do you believe the resolution, the procedural vote tonight, then the re- resolution passes? I, I do. I, I think she will pull this out. I think it will pass. And, um, you know, I, I think what's going to happen with somebody like a Gottheimer is that's how our system works. It allows one or small groups of people to have an outsized influence, whether it's Kristen Cinema, Joe Manchin or jo- Josh Gottheimer, or even some of these progressives if they choose to step up. And that's both great for them personally, but a problem for the party overall, and I think a problem for our system of government. So this is what happens when you have a house so narrowly divided. And, you know, just getting this vote done tonight and moving forward in the House, we still have to go back to the Senate. And again, Joe Manchin has said, <laughs> do not do this, you know, push this, the the biff through, and then right. we'll deal and, and get that trillion-dollar package down to something that we can swallow. So progressives may not be happy in the end either. So we turn to the situation in Afghanistan and a lot of questions about whether we will stay beyond August 31st, the withdrawal date. Headlines this morning on the terminal, the Taliban said, no, you can't extend that. That's a red line. And White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was asked about it today repeatedly in the briefing room. We are engaging with the Taliban, uh, uh, consulting with the Taliban on every aspect of what's happening in Kabul right now on what's happening at the airport, on how we need to ensure that there is facilitated passage to the airport for American citizens, SIVs, third country nationals, and so forth. We'll continue those conversations with them. Ultimately, it will be the president's decision how this proceeds, no one else's. He was repeatedly asked that and gave pretty similar versions of that answer. But to hear Jake Sullivan say it will be Joe Biden's decision and no one else's, would run counter to what we heard earlier today. And a good time to bring in Mark Jacobson, former Deputy Senior Civilian Representative for NATO in Kabul. He's actually been there. Former Senior Advisor to the Defense Secretary, Ash Carter. Mark, it's great to have you with us. You're one of the few people we can talk to who's actually spent time at that airport and around the area that U.S. forces are protecting and also You have a good sense of what the Taliban is dealing with in terms of its own cards here. Is it true that Joe Biden will make that decision on when the U.S. leaves? I have to say one thing about the president. Since the day he made that decision, no matter how wrong I think he was, no matter how bad a job I think we're doing at the noncombatant evacuation operation, he has owned that decision. I'm going to tell you. I voted for the man. I was very happy to vote for him. I voted for Barack Obama, but Barack Obama didn't always own things the way that President Biden has in terms of Afghanistan. And I won't even speak to, to the guy in between. But the, what I think is really important is that things are not only not going well, that the timeline makes it almost certain that we will not get American, every American citizen out. We'll certainly not get every American green card holder out. We're not going to get those Afghans with special immigrant visas that, that in many cases save the lives of U.S. military personnel out, nor the other members of Afghan civil society who have stood by us. And because they stood by us, they are going to be killed if they're left behind. Well, this is also not what Jake Sullivan said today to reporters. He's, 
He said the White House believes that we can get every American out who wants to get out. And I don't know if that's a caveat we need to talk about here by August 31st. Afghans, Mark, could be a different matter. Well, look, Jake is one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. Uh, he is a, he is a wonderful uh, policymaker and bureaucrat. However, if you parse what he's saying, the White House believes. The White House can be wrong. They absolutely can be wrong. Also, I know the, there are no doubt there are American citizens who want to stay behind. And let me explain this. There may be a one-off who says, you know, I'm looking forward to Taliban rule. I mean, right, there could be in <laughs> okay. theory. What's happening is because of the rules that the White House, White House and State Department have set up for the embassy down there, it is impossible, near impossible, to get mixed families in. In other words, let's say you have a father with a U.S. passport, but the, the wife, mother, has an Afghan passport. The children may get in, but the mother's going to stay behind. And why is that? One, it's because... The way that we're getting – some of the ways we're getting people in, the Taliban just won't let the Afghan passport holder through. At the gates, the Marines are not allowed to let the Afghan passport holders through. And the rule is they say we don't want to split up families so everyone stay outside. And what I think Jake could be referring to is there are American citizens who say, I am not leaving here unless I'm leaving with my – my whole family. I mean, just the whole immediate family, not, sure, uh, not cousins, uncles, and aunts. If that's what they're playing off of, that's incredibly dishonest. Well, at that point, you're a victim of the system here, and, and it's I guess it's difficult for us to tell if that's the case here, Mark. But I have to admit, as I, as I see the footage, I heard about this skirmish last night. Shots were fired. Americans were not hurt, but an Afghan died. And I wonder how worried you are about this situation evolving with either God forbid, I'm, I'm, I don't even want to say it. When an American gets killed here or we have a hostage situation, we have so little idea of what's going on right now that that would change the story, and I presume the timeline, pretty quickly, Mark. Uh, well, look, a, a break in the ceasefire would, would almost certainly uh, change the timeline. Um, you know, what we're very fortunate at is, is uh, this has been able to be done in a peace, relatively peaceful situation. And there are a lot of bureaucratic hiccups, some that even if they had planned for months would have happened. There's also operational hiccups. I mean, it's a difficult city um, to navigate. And, and now you have it's a difficult city to operate in. So let's ask ourselves this. If, if we start to get in a situation where there is shooting going on, it makes it a completely different ballgame. And I, really, I don't want to think about that. But at the same time, it may come to that. And and the president's going to have to decide what's more important. Yeah, we know the Pentagon um, you know, is certainly it's, it's, planning for that as a possibility. Uh, I, Mark, I, I only have a minute left. I hate to say this because I'm enjoying this conversation uh, quite a bit here. But if we're in a world where we're going back in to get Americans or Afghans, doesn't that become a a skirmish all on its own? I, I guess, you know what, those who support the president's position are going to look negatively at something like that. Uh, those who are opposed to the way he's doing it aren't going to have a problem uh, with, with a few thousand more troops having to go in, or maybe just the use of air power and special operations forces. Yeah. But look at the polling. The country's, you know, what, about 50-50? It's been dropping in terms of, you know, 70% support of the withdrawal. And so now nobody's got patience for that. that. Can I say one last thing, though? The military down there, the 82nd Airborne, 10th Mountain Division, the Marines, are doing a fantastic job. 
they are in a incredibly difficult situation. Thankless. And they want to get outside the wire and help people. They want to let the Afghans in. But the policy set by the State Department and by the White House isn't letting them do that. And let me add, I've been on the phone and on and talking to many embassy officials as well, the civilians from the State Department down there. They are just livid, mad, upset, heartbroken, and they're upset as well at the restrictions they have. So what, you know, so what we're looking at is if we don't change those policies, there's no way we can finish by the 31st, even with the Americans, much less the Afghans. So you've set up the situation of uh, whether or not we have to stay and the possibility of a confrontation with, with the Taliban. Well, you know what? Uh, we've been, the White House has been talking about all this incredible military power we have. I mean, what does it say to the rest of the world when we fail to take these people out and, and run scared from the Taliban? And I don't want a war again. I don't want my friends to have to go there and die. I don't want any American to have to do that. But you know what? I'd be interested. You know, you go talk to the troops, the, the a thousand or so volunteers that are working uh, day and night to get the Afghans out through a virtual network. Uh, mm-hmm. There is, uh, and, and those who are on the ground, I, I just don't think sometimes the White House understands that it's about more than a, than a mission statement. You know, it's about what, what is supposed to be done. It's about, you know, the administration likes to say that, well, um, you know, this could never be done the right way. Yes, it could have. And the professionals warned that this is what was going to happen. And, and, and I just I think that, you know, there are ways forward that don't require a full scale war. There are ways forward where the military could say, look, you're going to have a safe haven up at Bagram Airfield. And that's mm-hmm. going to be it. And we're going to put, put uh, Afghans there. You have Kabul back. You're going to let us get everybody out and you're going to give us more time. Sorry to be you know all over the place with that. But that's the, I mean, I just don't see the current plan working. And the White House knows it's not working. And I, I just don't understand why such a, an incredible foreign policy team is either advising the president the wrong way or telling the, or not being able to get the president to see the reality of the situation. Mark Jacobson, thank you for waiting on the line uh, for a couple of extra minutes to make that point. It sounds to me like this date's got to move. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Rick and Jeannie are with us. Our panel, of course, our classic sound on panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis. I guess I'll, I'll throw this to both of you. Same question. Are we going to have to move this beyond August 31st? And based on what we heard from Mark, Jeannie, we'll start with you. Is it going to involve a new plan like he was saying? Fine, take Kabul. We're going to Bagram and that's going to be our jumping off point for as long as we need it to be. I do think we are going to extend it beyond August 31st, and I think what they're trying to avoid in the White House is that they bump up to 9-11, the 20th anniversary. Um, So I I know that they're hoping that doesn't happen. I do think, of course, they need a new plan. Whether that involves going back to Bagram, I I don't imagine they would want to do that after they shut that down. I mean, you had reporters biking up and down the runways there. And now to go back in, I can't imagine they'd want to do that. But they do need a new plan. Our allies have been very clear on it. You just talked about Boris Johnson. 
you know, obviously our friends and supporters in Afghanistan, certainly all the people on the ground who worked there and gave so much of themselves and their lives. Um, we have to have a new uh, a plan to do that. I just don't think we have a sense yet what that might be, but they, they're going to have to release that or at least put it into place pretty soon. Rick Davis, I bet you can hear John McCain in your head right now talking about this August 31st self-imposed deadline. What, what should they do? Yeah, this is the point he made over and over and over about both Iraq and Afghanistan, is that the minute you set a deadline, you're telegraphing to your enemies exactly when they need to just sit down and wait for you because you know they're going to be gone and you can take over after that deadline. And this is all about boots on the ground. It's all about like what happens with conditions in that airport and in uh, Kabul and around the country uh, uh, by the end of this next week. And, and uh, to put a date on it was the first mistake this administration made in a whole chain of mistakes. Now, you know, today, in the last 24 hours, they've, they've been able to move, you know, 37,000 people uh, in, the, in the last week and, and, and 15,000 in one day, 100,000, you know, if they keep up on that pace by the end of next week. Um, what are they going to give to the Taliban to allow them to stay? Because I think the point that Mark uh, was just making is that we don't get to make the decisions without repercussions. And if mm -hmm. the Taliban, which they said today, they expect us to stay on track to be out of there on the 31st, um, what do we got to do to buy their support? And, and is that less politically you know, uh, acceptable than actually leaving without the job being done? Uh, this, this administration's in a vice and that vice is only going to get tighter as the week progresses. As we get closer to the 31st. What can we give them, though, Rick? I'm afraid to ask. What could we give them that they'd actually want? Money. We've frozen all their overseas assets, almost all the assets financially in this country. Uh, we're in overseas accounts. They don't have any money. They don't have any food. They're going to have a humanitarian crisis on their hands. If they actually want to run the country, which they claim they want to, they can't do it without those resources, and uh, the Western governments control those resources. There's only so much that Russia or China or any of these other groups are going to allow them to do with their finances, and so they're going to be dependent upon that. And um, hmm. right now, the U.S. government gets control of that, that policy, and if that policy winds up releasing millions of dollars to the Talibanis in exchange for extending that period of time. Wow. I mean, I, I can tell you what the poll's going to look like. Yeah, well, it, look, it may be a bad look, Jeannie, but I used to have an old boss who said, uh, if you have a problem that can be solved with money, it's not a problem. That's right. And, you know, that would be the question. Is money enough to solve this? And, you know, we're talking about dealing with the Taliban. But let's be clear. There is a, you know, a real concern that we are going to see some kind of terrorist attack either in Kabul, somewhere in Afghanistan or, God forbid, somewhere in the United States or the West. That is a real, real obvious uh, problem for everybody. But the, when you talk about it politically for the Biden administration. So, yeah. Could we maybe deal with the Taliban? They maybe can, but it is very, very tough to do. And, you know, we should also note that, you know, so much of what the Biden administration is going through was set in motion by the Trump administration. They were the ones dealing with the Taliban. They were the ones inviting them to Camp David.
started on 9-11. You know, that was put into motion, and that's why you see the army collapse, the, the military collapse as quickly as it does. And, of course, now Joe Biden is the president who's watching this all unfold. And, you know, I'm reminded of Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message, and this is all being broadcast on social media. Very, very hard to get those pictures out of people's heads once they're out there. And that's something that we didn't have to deal with in Vietnam. So mm. it is a tough situation for Biden all around. The security situation is tenuous there, Rick. I know you've been to Kabul uh, when you were working uh, with Senator McCain. You have a sense of what that area is like, what that city is like, more than most Americans probably do. Do you think we actually know what's going on there? And I ask you that based on the the direction of the conversation uh, that I had with Mark Jacobson. What if what if someone loses a life? What if there is a hostage situation? What if this thing gets just a little bit out of control? It doesn't take much for it no. to get a little bit more out of control, right? I mean, no. all those things you describe. But look, I mean, there are also really great stories to tell. I mean, there have been two helicopter rescues of uh, Americans and our allies outside of the uh, airport area where they've gone in, picked these folks up, and, and brought them into safety. Um, I, I would say um, Mark did a good job of saying, you know, we got to thank the people who are on the ground doing this that's work right. for us. And, and, and there's a lot of tradecraft that's being exerted right now in the country to try and save lives. And, and I think one also shout-out is to the, to the community that is outside the U.S. government, uh, the charitable community, is bringing back people on their own. Uh, a lot of these flights leaving uh, Kabul are are private initiation of activity to bring people out of there because they they couldn't get the government to 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 do it for them. So there's a lot of in individual initiative here, but uh, I think you're right. The biggest question right now on the table is how far you can get before you hit that deadline, and what do you got to give up to get that deadline extended if you need it. Jeannie, we've got less than a minute, as you well know. What what should Joe Biden tell the G7 tomorrow? What should be his posture? He is going to have a very tough conversation with our allies tomorrow in this virtual meeting. I think he's got to try to figure out how to right the ship and how to keep them in the fold and, quite frankly, to walk them off the ledge. They are frustrated and angry and with good reason. Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis are politics contributors on Bloomberg Radio. Great insights as ever. Thanks to all of our guests for helping us understand what's going on at this moment from Capitol Hill and infrastructure to Kabul and the winding down of America's longest war. I'm Joe Matthew. I'll meet you back here tomorrow, even earlier. Meet you on TV starting 5 o'clock in the morning. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.